This is Linux Reality, Episode 11, Linux File System Hierarchy. Hello folks, this is your host, Chess Griffin, and welcome to another episode of Linux Reality. Last week we wrapped up our look at PC Linux OS, which is a live CD Linux distribution based on Mandrake Linux. It's a fantastic live CD, and based on the feedback I've received as well as what folks are talking about in the Linux Reality forums, it seems that this distribution is working extremely well for most folks. There's always going to be some hiccups, and one user, in fact, uh, Tabith, is having some issues with a wireless card, and hopefully we can help get that going. I'm pretty sure we can. Wireless cards are, of course, a little finicky and can sometimes be a little tricky to configure, but most wireless cards, I think, can be uh, made to function under Linux. I've had I don't know, several different kinds, and I've, I've always been able to get them to work eventually, but uh, they can be tricky. But overall, I think PC Linux OS is working really well for people, and so that's very exciting to see. Starting in this episode, we're going to take a step back from PC Linux OS uh, for, for a little bit and look at some more fundamental topics related to Linux in general. You might ask, well, why didn't you cover these things in the beginning before we got to, you know, looking at PC Linux OS specifically? And my thinking was that, that I wanted to cover some basics, get into a distribution, and now that people have had a chance to get their feet wet, if you will, it will make more sense, you know, some of these more, so, some of these additional topics will make more sense now. So that's, that's kind of what I've, you know, the way I was looking at it. But I didn't want to cover things in the beginning that wouldn't make any sense whatsoever for someone who has never booted up Linux before, in other words. This week we're going to look at the Linux file system hierarchy. And some of what we cover today will be relevant to those new users who've followed along so far and tried out PC Linux OS. Some of what we cover today is going to be a little advanced, but don't worry about it uh, if some of what we cover is advanced. Just listen, you know, glean what you can, and, you know, take the opportunity to come back to this episode down the road once, once you know, you've been able to get more involved and, and, and gain a little bit of a deeper understanding, you can come back to this episode and listen to it again, and I think then some of the additional pieces will make more sense. So I have a feeling, though, that this episode will be helpful to a lot of folks because I know when I first started using Linux, the file system hierarchy was a little confusing to me. And if you don't even know what I'm talking about, don't worry. I'm going to explain file system you know, hierarchy, what it means in just a minute. But before we get to all of that, let's check out some feedback. Message for you, sir. Okay, the first feedback I want to discuss here is an email I got from John. And I'm not going to read it all, but but I'm just going to read an excerpt here because you'll get the gist of what of what he was talking about. He said, Chess, really like the show and walking through the basics of Linux. I just thought I'd point out something. You should point out initially whether the distro you are covering is RPM, Debian, source-based. This is one basic thing that can have a huge impact on how you use the distro. Personally, I believe that package management makes or breaks your Linux success. And that's the end of his email. And, and John, you're right. And what John is getting at is package management, you know, how software is packaged up and how you can get more software or install software on a particular distribution. And... We are going to cover that. In fact, I think I'm going to cover that in the very next episode. It will be kind of a high-level look at package management. It's not going to get real 
in depth, but I'm going to discuss the different types of packages and, and the different types of package management for distribution. So stay tuned for that. But John, you, uh, you are correct. That is a very important issue. And frankly, it's the one issue or one of the issues, I guess, that, that makes Linux adoption a little difficult for some people. But I do believe it is a hurdle that can be overcome. It's just that folks need to think about software in a slightly different way and you know, it takes a little bit more work than it does in Windows, but we'll get to that next time. So thank you very much, John. And then the other audio, the other feedback I wanted to get to this week, I, I got a lot of feedback, but I couldn't, I just couldn't get to get to all of it in this episode. And I do want to get to this file system. It's going to be, it'll be kind of in depth. So, but I want to play this audio feedback from Alan. Hi, Jess. My name is Alan Pope. I'm from the UK and I thought I'd drop you some audio feedback. Uh, because in episode five that I just listened to uh, of Linux Reality, well, you asked for it. So here it is. Um, I got to hear about Linux Reality through the Mike Tech Show podcast. I'm probably not your target audience, being that I'm a fairly seasoned Linux user and administrator. But I'm working through all the episodes and I plan to listen to them all. I've downloaded them all so far. Uh, and I do hope you do some more because uh, what I've listened to so far is it's pretty good, actually. Uh, I think the Linux community needs more uh, stuff like this uh, to get people over those first stumbling blocks and up and running. Uh, you're doing a great job. Keep it up. Cheers. Well, Alan, that's really awesome of you to send that audio feedback along. I really enjoy the audio feedback. It's so great to hear listeners in their own voice and to actually hear what you have to say. And So thank you very much, Alan. Thank you for the feedback and the kind words. I really do appreciate it. And to those of you who I haven't been able to get uh, a response to, I, I do apologize. I'm, I'm trying to get to it. I was out of town for four or five days at my sister's wedding, and it, you know a lot of the email backed up. I didn't really have good internet access, but I will try to get back to those if I, you know, as soon as I can. So, but thank you for everybody sending the feedback. I, I sure do appreciate it. So, let's get right to the file system hierarchy. <laughs> Okay, so the first question, of course, is, well, what the heck do I mean by file system hierarchy? And what I mean by that, or what that phrase means, is the way the hard drive file system is laid out, the directory tree that you see when you open up a file manager. Let me use an example. Let's use Windows. On a typical Windows desktop, you have the My Computer icon, right? Well, you, let's say you double-click on that, and then it will show you your drives, like the C drive, let's say, which is your hard drive. You double click on that and then you'll see a tree of folders. And there'll be, I don't know, you know, depending on how many, you know, you could have half a dozen to a dozen or more folders. And somewhere in there there'll be like, you know, my programs or programs or something. And that's where you find all the folders where all of your applications are stored. And there's a system folder or a Windows folder. And, and so anyway, that tree, that tree of directories, that's called a file system hierarchy. It's a hierarchy of all the files and directories contained within the operating system with, that's on the particular hard drive. If you think about the way Windows has it set up, the Windows file system hierarchy is based on your hard drive. If you have two hard drives installed in your computer, you might have a C drive, and a D drive. And if you have a floppy, it's like an A drive. Or a CD-ROM might be a, you know, K drive. 
it starts at the drives, you know, each these these drive letters, and then you have folders within that. Well, the Linux file system hierarchy is different. At first blush, it looks similar. It's just a bunch of folders in a in a tree in a in a file system tree, but it's not based on drives. It's not based on hard drives. There is no C drive. Let's say PC Linux OS or some other distribution. If you open up your file manager as your normal user, it will default to your home directory. So home slash username. Well, let me actually pause right there. The first thing you'll notice is that the slashes are different. In Windows, for example, the path to a file, let's say you have a file called foo.txt. And foo, F-O-O, is just kind of a common term for sort of a generic made-up name of a, of a file, let's say. So let's say I have a file called foo.txt. Let's say I have a folder in the C drive called chess slash documents. So the location of that file would be C colon backslash uh, chess backslash documents backslash foo.txt. Well, if I kept, if I had that same file in my home directory in Linux, the file location would be, there would be no C colon, because that's the drive letter. Linux doesn't use that. So it's just folders. So it would be forward slash, Linux uses forward slashes, forward slash home, forward slash chess, forward slash documents, forward slash foo.txt. Let me take a step back and just sort of explain the overall file system as it appears generally in Linux, at least as according to the, you know, sort of there's a standard out there about the file system. It's the file system hierarchy standard. And I'll explain the different directories, and then I'll explain how Linux handles multiple drives, you know, like the C drive and the D drive and the and the CD-ROM in Windows would be the K drive. I'll explain how that fits in in Linux. And i got to say, the Linux file system is awesome, I think. It makes so much sense once you get it, and it's so much more flexible than the way the Windows file system is. And so hopefully you'll see that as we get along. Okay, so let's say in Linux you open up your file manager and you're in your home slash user directory. Well, click the up arrow or the back arrow to go up a couple of levels to the very top. The very top level in Linux is just a single forward slash, and that's called the root directory or the root partition. All other folders are located under root under this root partition, if you will. So that's the very top level. It's just a single forward slash. Now, you'll see a list of directories if you are looking in your uh, Linux file manager, like Conquer, for example. And there's going to be some differences in distribution. So I'm going to list out a bunch of directories, and you should see these, and you may see some additional ones. Don't worry about the additional ones right now. I'm just going to kind of give you the overall picture, and then some distributions are going to do things a little bit different. But more often than not, the basic directories that you will see under root are the following. Bin, that's B-I-N, dev, D-E-V, Etsy, E-T-C, home, lib, L-I-B, 
Mount, or M-N-T, Proc, P-R-O-C, Root, spelled out, R-O-O-T, S-B-I-N, Temp, which is T-M-P, U-S-R, and VAR, V-A-R. Those are kind of the basic directories that I think you'll see in every Linux distribution. Don't hold me to it, but basically, that's what you'll see in every Linux distribution. Now, there may be some additional ones, but these, from what I've have found to be sort of the basic directories. So what I thought I'd do is kind of go through these and explain to you what they are and point out some things about them, and then you'll see, hopefully, how this whole thing fits together. The bin directory stands for binaries or binary, and that is where some applications, some programs, some scripts that are accessible to all users will be located. For example, there's a common command in Linux, ls, and that little program is located in the bin directory. So the bin directory contains some programs that are accessible to all users. Okay, dev, this stands for device or devices. This is a virtual directory, meaning there's no real subfolders, generally speaking, in this dev directory. Because Linux treats everything as folders and files, when you first boot up your Linux distribution and it starts detecting your hardware, it will place folders and files representing your hardware in the dev directory. There used to be something called the, uh, I think it's the devfs, which was what would detect, uh, well, it was that and Hotplug, which would detect your hardware and then create what are called nodes in the dev directory. Nowadays, uh, really modern distributions and, and something that most distributions are, are heading towards, it's being handled by something called udev. But in any event, the dev directory contains these virtual devices, these virtual nodes for your hardware that is detected by the Linux distribution. All right, the next one is Etsy, ETC, and that I think that stood for etc. This is a this is a very important directory. This is where your configuration files will be stored. A lot of Linux applications that are run at the command line or even ones that are not will store their configuration settings in a text file. Well, really everything's in a text file in Linux, but the configuration settings for particular programs will be located generally in the Etsy directory. The Etsy directory will also have subfolders for your um, initialization, your you know run levels, which is something we'll talk about another time for Linux, where you boot up into single user mode or, vert or multi user mode or whatever those kinds of scripts and, and configuration files will all be located in the Etsy directory the next directory home this is the default directory where user subdirectories will be created if you create a new user you know called Joe and you know you, you've got it set to create a subdirectory or a home directory for Joe that will be in home so it'll be you know, forward slash home, forward slash Joe, 
that will be Joe's home directory. The next directory is the lib directory and that stands for libraries or library and this is where the shared libraries are stored. You may have heard of things like Perl and Python and C and all of that. Well those those tools have libraries that are used by different applications in Linux and, and they share those libraries and those shared libraries will be located in the lib directory. And the lib directory is also where what's called your kernel modules are located. Okay, the next directory is the mount directory or the MNT directory. And this is a neat directory. This is an important one as well. This gets to those hard drives and floppy drives and CD-ROMs that I've talked about. In Linux, your drives, hard drives and floppy drives and CD drives are mounted. That's the term that's used, meaning plugged in to the directory structure. And you, the way it works is you create a folder or a location for, say, your CD-ROM. And it will be, for example, the mount slash CD-ROM directory. So it would be forward slash MNT forward slash CD-ROM. That would be like almost like your your node or your uh, you know your pointer your location for the CD-ROM. Then when you actually connect the CD-ROM, when when Linux detects it on boot, if it's set up right, what it will do is it will mount it will connect the CD-ROM and and connect it to that location. So if you put a CD in there into the actual CD-ROM the contents of that CD would be located at slash MNT slash CD-ROM. And the same thing would be for your floppies and, and you know, USB sticks and, and other kind of media. You could have slash MNT slash floppy or slash MNT slash jump drive if you've got a USB jump drive. You can call it whatever you want. You can make these directories as, as root and, and, and set up your Linux to mount your devices at these various subdirectories. And I, like I said, I, I realize this may be getting advanced for some people, and, and this will make more sense as things go along. But what is really cool about this is that if you kind of think about it, what this means is that you can really create your what are called mount points wherever you want. And this is why the Linux file system is so much superior to Windows, I think. Rather than Windows, which is based on the drives, Linux is based on just a single big long file system and you can plug the drives in wherever you want. Here's a perfect example. This is a real life example for me. I have a, an extra uh, hard drive that's got all, all my music on there. I've got, you know, gigs of, of music that I've ripped off my CDs and stuff. Well, I have my Linux distribution set up to mount that hard drive when when it boots up it mounts it to my forward slash home forward slash chess forward slash music directory so when I'm in my home directory there's a little folder there that says music and I double click on it and it opens up that folder and there's all my music but all that music is located on a secondary drive but as transparent as far as your usage of it goes. In other words, it looks like it's just a folder in my home directory. If I didn't know better, I wouldn't have no idea that that, that the contents of that folder are located on a separate hard drive 
It could be a network drive. And you can start to see where the networking potential of Linux, where it really gets, I mean, this is really, this, this file system comes from Unix, and it's a, it's a network-based file system. You can have hard drives located across the network or resources located all across the network, and you just mount them at different locations. And when the user comes along and, and looks at the, 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 the directory tree, they have no idea where things are. You know, one directory could be, you know, mounted locally on this particular workstation. Another directory could be mounted over a, you know, a, a file server somewhere, you know, across town or whatever. And it doesn't make any difference in the sense that you can just plug these, these things in to the directory wherever you want. Now, I'll explain how you do all that another time, but I'm just kind of giving you the, you know, the conceptual, conceptually the way it works. Hopefully I'm explaining this well. <laughs> it's one of these things that like, I, I, I know how it works and I've been thinking about how to explain it and hopefully I'm making sense. Okay, let's pick back up with the, with the list. So that's the MNT or the mount directory. The next directory is the proc, P-R-O-C, and this is another virtual directory, kind of like the dev directory. This directory will, with this virtual directory will contain information about your system. This is where you can go into this directory and, and you'll see information about your, your processes that are running your, you know, PCI bus information when you, you know, talking about PCI slots and ISA slots and, you know, just everything regarding your hardware of this, of the system is going to be contained in this virtual directory, this virtual folder. All right, the next one is the root directory, the spelled out root, R-O-O-T. This is the default home directory for the root user, and the root user is the administrator of the entire system. This is where their home directory is. It's not going to be home slash root. It will be just root, and the reason for that is just for security. If you've got all your regular users with home directories you know, in home, home slash Joe, home slash Bob, whatever. You don't, you you know, you want to contain them within that section and not have them really see the root directory, if you will. But anyway, so the root directory is separate from the home directory. Okay, the next one is sbin. And you'll notice it sounds like bin, the first one I mentioned. And I think this stands for secure binary. But anyway, what this is, this directory is where certain applications and programs are located that require administrative level privileges. These are programs and applications and, and things that normal users wouldn't be using. A good example is FDisk. You may have heard of FDisk. That's kind of like a partitioning tool. Well, that's kind of a powerful tool and you don't generally want your average users to be able to use FDisk. They could partition the disk and, and mess things up. So that's a administrative level uh, application that will be located in SBIN. All right. The next one is the temp directory, TMP. As you can probably guess, this is a, a temporary directory or a directory where temporary information is stored. Sometimes, you know, if you're running different programs, it will temporarily save a log that will then be erased when you close down the program or you know it can just be for anything and I think most distributions are set to uh, empty the temp directory upon reboot so you wouldn't want to do anything permanent in here sometimes I'll unpack a, a 
piece of source code in this directory and then move it or something. But, you know, anyway, that's just a, just a temporary directory. All right, the next one is a very important directory, the USR directory, and that stands for Unix System Resources. A lot of people think that the USR means user, but that's not what it means. It stands for Unix System Resources. And this directory is going to have a lot of subdirectories in it. And it's got like USR slash bin, USR slash include, USR slash lib. And this, generally speaking, is where shared data and shared libraries and shared binaries, meaning applications, will be located. Because Linux has a networking and a Unix root, you know, background to it, a lot of times what the way things would be set up is that you would have a, you know, sort of like a server or a, you know, a, a um, you would have it set up where you could have thin clients or, or separate clients attaching to a server that, that will contain, that will hold all of these applications and libraries. And so, the USR directory is where some of this shared data will be held. Generally, the stuff that's in the USR directory is not host-specific. In other words, this is not where you would generally find data related to the specific machine that you're running. Now, there's some exceptions. There's a subdirectory in there called USR slash local, and that is where you generally will store local data. Or to put it another way, if you install an application after the fact, let's say you've got your Linux distribution up and running and, and going, and you go out and you get a separate application out there and you install it, sometimes that will often be installed in USR slash local. And because the thinking is that's where you can keep all your local stuff, that's not going to be touched when you upgrade the system, you know, because your Linux distribution is not going to install anything in USR slash local. Only you would. Only the user would. So you can put stuff in there and be reasonably sure that it will stay safe. There's a lot more to the USR directory, and I've barely scratched the surface because that's there's just there's just a lot in there. But anyway, check out USR slash doc. That's where a lot of documentation is is held. That's a great directory to ch check out. And then the last one is the var directory. And this stands for variable files or variable data. This is where a lot of things like log files are held or um, databases or websites are, you know, a lot of times the Apache web server is set up to um, manage its, you know, base file location in the var directory. And this is where a lot of, you know, this is where the cron jobs, I think, are, are generally run. And there's just a lot of variable information. And your, 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 if you run an email program, email server, you know, the mail spool file will be in the var directory. And there's a lot of stuff in the var directory that can, that can, you know, that can be, you know, that can fluctuate and change. And so oftentimes it's set over on a different partition. And that's also something else we'll talk about. But uh, that's what the var directory is for, basically logs and spool files and, and things like that. Now, those are sort of the basic directories. There are some additional directories that sometimes you'll find in, in certain distributions. 
oftentimes there's a boot directory. This is this is located at the top level. You know, in the root partition, you'll have, you know, after bin, you'll have boot. And that will be where the Linux kernel is held. The Linux kernel config and system map files. Uh, some of the bootloaders will store some of their information in the boot directory. There's also oftentimes a media root directory right off root. You know, you'll have, instead of MNT, I mean, you'll have MNT, but you'll also have media. And the reason for that is the, I think the standards actually calls for MNT directory to hold your, I think it's your temporary shared mounted partitions, uh, network type partitions, network type, type shares. And the media directory is supposed to be where your removable media is mounted, like CD-ROMs and USB sticks and that kind of thing. Some distributions I've noticed use the media directory for things like CD-ROMs and USB sticks, but it seems to me that most of them still stick those in MNT, so it just kind of depends. I think PC Linux OS still uses MNT for everything, CD-ROMs and USB sticks and, and everything, but I could be wrong about that. Oftentimes you'll see an opt directory, OPT, and I'm not sure if that stands for optional or not, but it is kind of optional because I see it in some distributions and I don't see it in others. And that's kind of like a, well, optional, I guess, sort of a, uh, I've heard some people describe it as sort of like a, like a sandbox or a testing ground, kind of like a place where you can install applications if you want. Some distributions actually install stuff there in Opt. I think Arch Linux is one, and there's been a couple others I've noticed that actually use Opt, and that's where they put packages that are installed. But I think I'm not quite sure if that's what the standard is or not. I don't think it is. I think it's still USR. But anyway, the Opt directory is often found in, in distributions, and when it's there, it's usually for extra or additional packages that are installed later on. In other words, you generally don't find any system critical information in Opt. It will be like, let's say you upgrade Firefox. Well, it might install the new Firefox in Opt. Or OpenOffice, I think, is a classic example. I think OpenOffice has always installed itself in Opt. It's such a big application, they just figure, well, let's just stick it someplace else where it won't, won't bother anybody else. And so I think that's... That's more or less the, the, the file systems that you generally see. As I mentioned, some distributions do things a little bit differently. Some distributions will have things in different places, but more, I mean, there is a standard, and I will have a link to the, to the file system hierarchy standard that has been adopted, and I think by the free standards group or somebody like that, and, uh, check that out. There's some good reading there about all of this stuff, and, and I think it will really help you kind of get a clear understanding of the big picture here. But the main thing to remember is that, you know, there's no drive letters in Linux like Windows. Everything is done in one big directory, and you can basically try to think of it as where you can stick hard drives and CD-ROMs wherever you want. In other words, you could create a folder, let's say, if you wanted to, under root, and you could call it hard drive. So you could have, you know, boot or bin, boot, dev, Etsy, hard drive and then home, and then lib, and whatever. And you could set up your Linux distribution to mount your, you know, your um, extra hard drive with all of your photos or your music 
you could set it to mount it to that hard drive directory. And as long as you can set that hard drive directory to be readable by your users and all that, then you could do that. And as your regular user, you could log in and then navigate to hard drive and there's all your data. So you can kind of, it's very flexible. You can kind of put things wherever you want. Like I said, I use it for my music. I, I, I mount an extra hard drive in my home directory with all my music on it and it works great. And as far as I'm concerned, it just looks like a folder in my home directory. You would never know it's on a separate hard drive. Very handy. Very handy. So with that, I think I've kind of gone a little bit long, but it's uh, time to wrap up the show. So thanks again for listening, everybody. Uh, please feel free to drop me an email or send me an audio comment to linuxreality at gmail.com. As I mentioned a little while ago, the audio comments are especially welcome. and They're really great because it's so cool to hear you guys speak in your own voice. So, you know, if you want to send me an audio feedback, audio comment, that'd be really cool. But in any event, thanks for all the great feedback. I really do appreciate it. Next week, we're going to continue our step back from looking at specific Linux distributions and talk about package management in a very general sense, meaning source code and binaries and package managers and all that good stuff. It will be very high level, sort of an understand the lingo type of episode, but I think it's one that, that is necessary again now that people have had their, gotten their feet wet with PC Linux OS. But in the meantime, please check out the Linux Reality Frapper map. I haven't talked about that in a little while. You'll see the link on the homepage and add yourself to the map if you haven't done that already. And also check out the Linux Reality forums. The discussions over there are getting really interesting, and I really appreciate those folks that have signed up and helped kick things off. It's been great. If you have not visited the forums, please do so, and please consider registering. All right, well, that about does it for this week. This has been Episode 11 of Linux Reality. I'll see you all next time. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.